Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Hello, my Mysterians. This is Terry, your presenter on Terry's Mysterious Moments. On this show, I would like to talk about kids and UFOs. The Westall UFO was a reported UFO sighting in Australia that occurred on the 6th of April, 1966, in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. At approximately 11 a.m. on Wednesday, April 6, 1966, students and a teacher from Westall High School, now called Westall Secondary College, reported seeing a flying object, described as being a gray or silvery-green saucer-shaped craft with a slight purple hue and about twice the size of a family car. According to the students, the object was descending, overflew the high school, and disappeared behind a stand of trees. Approximately 20 minutes later, the object reportedly reappeared, climbed at speed, and departed towards the northwest. Some accounts describe the object as being pursued by five unidentified aircraft. An Australian newspaper called The Age described it as a weather balloon. Quoting the paper, object, perhaps balloon, an unidentified flying object seen over the Clayton Moribin area yesterday morning might have been a weather balloon. Hundreds of children and a number of teachers at Westall School in Clayton watched the object during morning break. The Weather Bureau released a balloon at Laverton at 8.30 a.m. and the westerly wind blowing at the time could have moved it into the area where the sighting was reported. The newspaper also said that a number of small aeroplanes circled around it. However, a check later showed that no commercial, private, or RAAF pilots had reported anything unusual in the area. According to Keith Basterfield, a runaway balloon from the highball, high altitude balloon project used to monitor radiation levels after British nuclear test at Maralinga is a likely explanation. Basterfield located Documents in the National Archives and former Department of Supply indicating a test balloon launched from Mildura may have been blown off course and come down in Clayton South in a paddock near Westall High School, alarming and baffling hundreds of witnesses, including teachers and students. Basterfield said highball balloons had a white-silver appearance and featured a parachute and gas tube trailing from the top, which is consistent with witness descriptions of the object. 
There were also reports that after the incident, men in suits cautioned witnesses not to discuss details of the secret government exercise. According to skeptic Brian Dunning, the weather balloon is a likely explanation for the first half of the event. Dunning suggested a nylon target drogue, like a windsock, towed by one plane for the others to chase and known to be in use by the local RAAF at the time, was at least one very reasonable possibility for the second half. Dunning added, as years have passed, descriptions of what was actually seen have now become diluted with made-up descriptions by an unknown number of students who didn't see anything, and there's no way to know which is which. January 21st of 2016, Network 10's program Studio 10 screened a segment titled January 21st, Melbourne UFO Mystery, 50 Years On, which included live interviews with witnesses who were children at the local school in suburban Melbourne in 1966. The Phenomenon, a documentary film directed and co-produced by ufologist James Fox, includes content related to the Westall case. A witness reunion was held at Westall Tennis Club Hall to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the event. The city of Kingston created a children's play space called Grange Reserve UFO Park at the Grange Reserve in Clayton, South Melway. The park features a silver UFO with red slides to reflect the 1966 Westall UFO incident. So here's a group of kids that were out on recess in the morning and they get treated to a UFO. I don't know if it's real or not. I assume it is. Kids usually don't have a good reason to lie. So what happened in Melbourne, 1966? On September 16th of 1994, there was a UFO sighting outside Ruwa, Zimbabwe, in Africa. 62 pupils at the Ariel School, aged between 6 and 12, said that they saw one or more silver craft descend from the sky and land on a field near their school. One or more creatures dressed it all in black then approached the children and telepathically communicated with them a message with an environmental theme, frightening the children and causing them to cry. The Fordian writer Jerome Clark has called the incident the most remarkable close encounter of the third kind of the 90s. Skeptics have described the incident as one of mass hysteria. Not all the children at the school that day stated they saw something. Several of those that did maintain their account of the incident is true. Rua is an agricultural center located 14 miles southeast of the capital of Harare. At the time of the incident, it was not a town but only a local place name, little more than a crossroads in an agricultural region. So nothing special about the place. Ariel School was an expensive private school. Most of the pupils were from wealthy white families in Harare. 
Two days prior to the incident at Ariel, there had been a number of UFO sightings throughout Southern Africa. There had been numerous reports of a bright fireball passing through the sky at night. Many people answered ZBC Radio's request to call in and describe what they had seen. Although some witnesses interpreted the fireball as a comet or meteor, it resulted in a wave of UFO mania in Zimbabwe at the time. According to skeptic Brian Dunning, the fireball had been the re-entry of the Zenit 2 rocket from the Cosmos 2290 satellite launch. The booster broke up into burning streaks as it moved silently across the sky, giving an impressive light show to millions of Africans. Local UFO researcher Cynthia Hind recorded other alien sightings at this time, including a daylight sighting by a young boy and his mother and a report of aliens being on a road by a trucker. The sightings at Ariel occurred at 10 a.m. on September 16th of 1994, when pupils were outside on mid-morning break. Thoughtful UFO came during recess. The adult faculty at the school were inside having a meeting at the time. The entire incident lasted about 15 minutes. When the children returned to class, they told the teachers what they had seen, but were dismissed. When they returned home, they told their parents. Many of the parents came to the school the next day to discuss what had happened with the faculty. The sighting was reported on ZBC radio from where Cynthia Hind learned about it. The BBC's correspondent in Zimbabwe, Tim Leach, visited the school to film interviews with pupils and staff. After investigating this incident, Leach stated, I could handle war zones, but I could not handle this. Hind visited the school on September 20th, 1994. She interviewed some of the children and asked them to draw pictures of what they had seen. She reported that the children all told her the same story. That November, Harvard University professor of psychiatry John Mack visited the Ariel School to interview witnesses. Throughout the 1990s, Mack had investigated UFO sightings and had a particular interest in the alien abduction phenomenon. In May of 1994, the dean of Harvard Medical School, Daniel Tosteson, appointed a committee of peers to confidentially review Mack's clinical care and clinical investigation of the people who had shared their alien encounters with him. Some of their cases were written in Mack's 1994 book, Abduction. The issue was that Mack had communicated to these people that their experiences may have been real. After 14 months, Harvard issued a statement stating that the dean had reaffirmed Dr. Mack's academic freedom to study what he wishes and to state his opinions without impediment. According to the interviews of Hind, Leach, and Mack, 62 children between the ages of 6 and 12 said they had seen at least one UFO. Dozens more children who were present stated they had not seen any UFO or anything unusual. The basic details of the sightings were quite consistent, although not all the details were. One or more silver objects, usually described as disks, 
appeared in the sky. They then floated down to a field of brush and small trees just outside the school property. Between one and four creatures with big eyes and dressed all in black, exited a craft and approached the children. At this point, many of the children ran, but some, mostly older pupils, stayed and watched the approach. According to Mac's interviews, the creature or creatures then telepathically communicated to the children an environmental message before returning to the craft and flying away. According to Dunning, this telepathic message aspect of the story was not included in Hind or Leach's reports, only Max, although Hind did report it later. In Max interviews, one fifth grader tells how he was warned about something that's going to happen and that pollution mustn't be. An 11-year-old girl told Mac that I think they want people to know that we're actually making harm on this world and we mustn't get too technologed, which is an error. One child said he was told that the world would end because they're not taking care of the planet. The children were adamant that they had not seen a plane. Hind noted that the different cultural background of the children gave rise to different interpretations of what they had seen, and they did not all believe that they had seen extraterrestrials. She noted that some of the children thought the short little beings were Tikaloshes, creatures of Shona and Ndebele folklore. The aerial school UFO incident quickly became one of the most famous UFO cases in Africa. On a June 2021 episode of the BBC's Witness History, the event was described as one of the most significant events in UFO history. Ufologists continue to cite the case as providing compelling evidence of extraterrestrial visits to Earth. Skeptics have suggested the incident could be explained as mass hysteria, a prank, or even confusion with touring puppet shows designed to promote awareness around AIDS. In December of 2020, Brian Dunning devoted an episode of his Skeptoid podcast to the incident. In it, he noted that some children in the school reported that they had not seen anything unusual that day. He challenged the often repeated statement that as rural school children in Zimbabwe, the witnesses would not have had exposure to modern media and so would not have been familiar with the concept of UFOs and alien visitors. He also criticized the interviewing techniques of Hind and Mac. Hind interviewed the children in groups of four to six with every other child allowed to listen and so their stories were cross-contaminated. Mac only interviewed the children two months after the alleged sighting, and Dunning says that Mac, a known environmentalist, prompted and suggested the telepathic communication angle, which was not present in Hines' previous report. Several of the witnesses maintain that what was reported was true. In 2014, the Mail and Guardian spoke to one witness who said that she fears that the creatures will return 
In 2016, witness Emily Trim exhibited paintings that she described as a manifestation of the messages she received from the beings that day. In 2021, Barstool sports writer Za spoke in an interview about being a pupil in Ariel that day. He recounted that he saw a bright light come down from the sky and aliens exit it. Other witnesses were interviewed for the 2020 documentary, The Phenomenon, and spoke about how the experience has affected them. Not sure why these aliens are focusing on children at the time. Maybe they just think that children believe easier than adults do. The Flatwoods Monster, also known as the Braxton County Monster, Braxy, or the Phantom of Flatwoods, in West Virginia folklore is an entity reported to have been sighted in the town of Flatwoods in Braxton County, West Virginia, in the United States on September 12th of 1952, after a bright object crossed the night sky. Over 50 years later, some investigators have stated that they believe the light was a meteor and the creature was a barn owl perched in a tree with shadows making it appear to be a large humanoid. Those darn owls. At 7.15 p.m. on September 12th of 1952, two brothers, Edward and Fred May, and their friend Tommy Heyer, said they saw a bright object cross the sky and land on the property of local farmer G. Bailey Fisher. The boys went to the home of Kathleen May where they told their story. May, accompanied by the three boys, Neil Nunley and Ronnie Shaver, and West Virginia National Guardsman Eugene Lemon, went to the Fisher farm in an effort to locate whatever it was that the boys had said they'd seen. The group reached the top of a hill where Nunley said they saw a pulsing red light. Lemon said he aimed a flashlight in that direction and momentarily saw a tall, man-like figure with a round red face surrounded by a pointed hood-like shape. Descriptions varied. In an article for Fate magazine based on this tape-recorded interview, UFO writer Gray Barker described the figure as approximately 10 feet tall with a round blood-red face, a large pointed hood-like shape around the face, eye-like shapes which emitted greenish-orange light, and a dark black or green body. May described the figure as having small claw-like hands, clothing-like folds, and a head that resembled the ace of spades. According to the story, when the figure made a hissing sound and glided toward the group, Lemon screamed and dropped his flashlight, causing the group to run away. The group said they had smelled a pungent mist and some later said they were nauseated. The local sheriff and a deputy had been investigating reports of a crashed aircraft in the area. They searched the site of the reported monster, but saw, heard, and smelled nothing. According to Barker's account, the next day, A. Lee Stewart Jr. of the Braxton Democrat claimed to have discovered skid marks in the field and an odd gummy deposit which were subsequently attributed by UFO enthusiast groups as evidence of a saucer landing. 
According to former news editor Holt Byrne, newspaper stories were carried throughout the country, radio broadcasts were carried on large networks, and hundreds of phone calls were received from all parts of the country. The National Press Services rated the story number 11 for the year. A minister from Brooklyn came to question the May family. A Pittsburgh paper sent a special reporter. UFO and Fordian writers like Gray Barker and Ivan T. Sanderson arrived to investigate. After investigating the case in 2000, Joe Nickel of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry concluded that the bright light in the sky reported by the witnesses on September 12th was most likely a meteor, that the pulsing red light was likely an aircraft navigation or hazard beacon, and that the creature described by witnesses closely resembled an owl. Nichols suggested that the witnesses' perception were distorted by their heightened state of anxiety. Nichols' conclusions are shared by a number of other investigators, including those of the Air Force. The night of the September 12th sighting, a meteor had been observed across three states, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. According to Nickel, three flashing red aircraft beacons were also visible from the area of the sightings, which could account for descriptions of a pulsing red light and red tint on the face of the supposed monster. Nickel concluded that the shape, movement, and sounds reported by the witnesses were also consistent with the silhouette, flight pattern, and call of a startled barn owl perched on a tree limb leading researchers to conclude that foliage beneath the owl may have created an illusion of the lower portions of the creature, described as being a pleated green skirt. Researchers also concluded that the witness's inability to agree on whether the creature had arms, combined with May's report of it having small claw-like hands, which extended in front of it, also matched the description of a barn owl with its talons gripping a tree branch. According to skeptic Ryan Haupt, even though local boy Max Lockhart admitted he had driven around the site hoping to see something in his Chevy truck, paranormal investigators concluded that the tracks, the oily residue, and bits of a rubbery substance must have been left by the creature and not the truck. Haupt explains nausea reported by some of the witnesses as a symptom consistent with hysteria and overexertion. Officials in Flatwood erected a welcome sign which designated the town as Home of the Green Monster. The town also commemorates the legend in its annual Flatwoods Days Festival. Located in the town of Sutton, the Braxton County seat, is the Flatwoods Monster Museum, which is dedicated to the legend. The Braxton County Convention and Visitors Bureau also built a series of five tall chairs in the shape of the monster to serve as landmarks and visitor attractions. The Bureau rewards visitors who photograph all five chairs with free Braxy stickers. In 2013, Virgin West Virginian rock singer Argyle Goolsby released a song called The Being which referenced the Flatwoods Monster. The legend of the Flatwoods Monster has also inspired media beyond West Virginia. The creature was the subject of a 2018 documentary called 
The Flatwoods Monster, A Legacy of Fear, produced by Small Town Monsters. And the leader of that group, Seth Breedlove, I interviewed on this show in the second year. Small Town Monsters is an indie production company, and they investigate stories and legends about monsters. So they've got several out. They've done one on Bigfoot, I think the Ohio Grass Monster, or Ohio Grass Man, several others. In television, the second episode of the 2019 History Channel series Project Blue Book, titled The Flatwoods Monster, is based on the Flatwoods incident. So what do you think? Do UFOs and aliens sometimes target kids to get a message across because they don't think adults will listen? If aliens exist, and I have my doubts, maybe that's true. Maybe they do that. Maybe they know that kids are more open to things. I just don't know. Well, that's all I have for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you'll be back next time for more Terry's Mysterious Moments. Have a great week, y'all.